Good morning, everybody. How you doing today? Good to see you. You have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah. Did you have fun with your family? You know, sometimes we get with family, this kind of line applies where you say, you know, you'll cry at their funeral, but you don't want to go on vacation with them, right? That didn't go over super well. <laughs> I, uh, I have to confess the sin of gluttony this week. We have two sets of, Bethany's family and my family are both in Medford, so we went down and we had two Thanksgiving dinners, and uh, apparently you're not supposed to do that. Uh, but we had two Thanksgiving dinners, and we have one of those digital scales, you know, that, that speaks out your weight. And when I stepped on it, it said, could one of you please get off? And so I knew that I was uh, in trouble. Well, I want to welcome you to Joy Church today. Thank you for coming out to the theater. It's wonderful to have you. And what a wonderful time of worship. I just want us to continue in, in that atmosphere and, and, and heart of honoring the Lord and enjoying His presence today. We're actually going to be talking about worship in, in a few minutes. But I wanted to just address, uh, in a group this size, there's, there's people that have walked with God, that have been Christians and been in church for many years. And then there's uh, others that are here that, that you're checking out the God thing. You're checking out the church thing. And maybe you, you wanted to come to a movie theater because it felt a little bit uh, you know, different than maybe walking into a traditional church building. Well, I'm not going to embarrass you or make you identify yourself or anything, so please don't run out of here. Uh, what I just want to say is thank you for being here. And uh, I, I, my prayer, and, and I know our team, our prayer is that you would encounter and experience God. He's an awesome God. Jesus is a wonderful Savior. You know, just in that time of singing and music and, and what we call worship, we're just reflecting back God's love that He's given to us. We're just singing it back to Him and, and giving it back to Him. And, uh, you know, maybe you're here and you're thinking, well, I'm not really qualified. I'm not really a perfect person. And I'm not really a church person. Great. You're exactly the kind of person that we want to have here. Uh, church is not a place for people that Jesus needs. It's a place for people that need Jesus. And I'm one of those people that needs Jesus. And I, I preach the gospel to myself on a regular basis because I, I want to I stay right in the center of that message that God saves sinners, right? That God sent His Son Jesus to die for my sins, and I need Him every day. And we don't graduate past that, right? We stay right there. And as we move forward today and in the next couple of weeks, we're moving into the Christmas season and how many of you know the reason for the season, right? It's eggnog, correct? No, no. It's Jesus, right? And we know that God gave His Son, Jesus, the best Christmas gift ever. I think Jesus actually historically was born in April or something, but somehow we, we moved it to, to um, Christmas. And in case you haven't gone to Bible college, I don't think Santa Claus is real. Sorry to burst your bubble. Uh, so we've added a couple things, but I love Christmas. Anybody else love Christmas? And how many of you do Christmas lists with your family, right? Anybody? Does that stress you out as much as it stresses me out? Because two sides. I'm a deal hunter. I love to get a good bargain. So I always want to spend the, the money that Bethany says, okay, this is how much money I'm going to get you for Christmas. I'm like, okay, this is what I want. Are you getting the best deal? And I'm trying to plan it and then she get back, you know, and I, I'm trying to get in. But I get stressed out. And then I also want to buy the right gift, right? And so Bethany, she's, she's buying presents for herself that other people are going to give to her. And I'm like, well, I could get that for you. And she's like, no, your mom will get that for me. And I'm getting really nervous because we're only three weeks away and I don't have anything for her yet. I'm getting nervous. But Christmas lists is something that our family does and we put these together. And the thought occurred to me uh, earlier this fall about Christmas lists that we spend so much time in the Christmas season, I do at least personally, thinking about what I want for Christmas and I even think about what I want to give to my family members, my kids, my wife, my parents, my siblings and friends, what I want to give them for Christmas. I spend so much time thinking about that, and then a thought occurred to me, I wonder what God wants for Christmas. 
wonder what God wants for Christmas. And you might be saying, well, God doesn't really want anything for Christmas. He already has everything. Well, touche. Okay, but we're going to explore this in the next four weeks. We're starting a series called, What Does God Want for Christmas? And what we're going to do as a church is just open up our hearts and say, God, what are the things in the scriptures that you have explicitly said, expressed that you desire? You know, one of the verses we're going to look at later in this series is, uh, there's a, a scripture that says, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. God wants truth in our hearts. He wants integrity in our lives. We're going to talk about holiness and what it means to be set apart uh, for the Lord, right? We're going to talk about the, the verses in Scripture where God says, I want something. And how many of you are excited about that? What does God want for Christmas? So this morning, the topic that I want to, I want to cover is the topic of worship. The topic of worship. And worship is something that perhaps you have a, a, an understanding of it. And for a lot of people, worship is what Christians do on Sunday mornings. Or if you're really spiritual, then on Wednesday night as well at the midweek service. You know, I remember growing up, it was like Sunday morning, we go to church. Wednesday, we go to church. And down at my parents' church in Medford, we went to church most of the other days too. But, but worship is, for a lot of people, is a moment that happens on a Sunday morning. But I want to open up that understanding of worship. That's an aspect, it's a part of what worship is, but worship is so much more. It's really a posture of life. A posture of life, a condition of our heart, an attitude of reverence towards God in every aspect of our life. So we're going to open that up and talk about that today. But before we get into that, I want to lay some foundations and ask two important questions. As we ask God, God, what do you want for Christmas? Lord, how can I, how can I change some, th- some things about my life? What can I give you, God? Uh, as we ask that question, I want to lay some foundations. This, this two important questions to ask. Number one, can I really give God anything? Right? What do you give the person who already has everything? God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He knows everything. That's how I felt when I was a teenager. I thought I was omniscient. And then I turned 18 and realized, no, there's a lot of stuff I don't know. Uh, do you know the difference between a narcissist and God? God doesn't think he's the narcissist, right? I'm just, I'm striking out today. I ate too much turkey. Maybe you guys ate too much turkey, right? It's the tryptophan. Uh, anyways, can I really give God anything? And as we open this up, this concept in this series, God, what can I give you What can I personally offer to you that is going to please you or be uh, that you desire, that you want? And the reality is this, that when we give God what he wants, what he asks for, uh, that he he expresses in the scriptures what God wants, what he desires, that we're really not giving him something in the sense of, oh God, here's here's a present, here's a subscription to ESPN magazine, or God, here's a new sweater with a, a lamb on it or something. You know, we're not giving God really anything tangible like that. I mean, we give our money, and we talk, we'll talk about that. But what we're really giving God when we give Him something that He wants is us, ourselves, more of our lives, more of our attention, more of our affection, more of our decision-making, just more of us. And when you go back in Scripture and we look at some of the deep meanings that, that we find and looking at this question of can I really give God anything, we have to look at our original purpose. And I'll say this, that God made us for relationship with Him. There's a deep mystery that at some point in eternity past or in infinity, that in the mystery of the Trinity, God in perfect unity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not bored, not lonely, but He said, I want to extend what I have. This amazing relationship, this this fellowship uh, of perfect unity and perfect relationship, I want to extend this 
And thus he created mankind. You know, it amazes me that God made me because he wants to hang out with me. He wants to know me and he wants me to know him. He wants to delight in me and I to delight in him. I think probably the closest experience we have as human beings to understanding this mystery is with our own children, right? We, we give birth to these kids. Well, I didn't give birth. Luckily, my wife, she took that upon herself to do that. I, I was able to dodge the bullet three times and she did it all three times. But, but we, you know, we gave birth to these children and, and they... You think, like, how could I love... I remember having Evie and thinking, how could I love anyone else as much as I love her? Did any of you have this fear? You have your second child and you think, how am I going to love number two as much as I love number one? And then what, what happens? You don't love number one less. Your love grows. And all of a sudden, there's more space to enjoy fellowship and relationship. And then we had number three, and Penelope, or Penerpaderp as we call her, came along. <laughs> And we didn't lose the love for number one, for Evie, until she started taking all the stuff out of the cupboards. Then love dropped a little bit. No, love didn't drop. Stress just went up. But we didn't lose love for Evie. We didn't lose love for Jack. We just had more to give, more. The fellowship, our unity, our family was expanded. And and this desire to have children is a desire to to enjoy and exult in and have uh, fellowship. And that's what God did with us. He created us for relationship with Him. And so the gift that God, that we can give God, and this is this this thing we call worship, is more of ourself, giving more of ourself a closer unity that when we turn over aspects of our character, when we change things, a lot of times we think, well, if I'm good, that makes me more acceptable to God. That's not true. Actually, God loves you so much even when you're doing the worst things you've ever done. Your good behavior doesn't affect God's love. What it does is it allows you to draw closer to Him. When we we give God more of ourselves and we are emptied, we receive more of Him, we just get a little bit closer to God. What we can give God is more of ourselves. Because ultimately, God is after a relationship with you and I. And we see this expressed in two foundational truths all through Scripture. One of them, which I'll just broadly label as worship, and we'll talk about that today. The other one is this topic of mission. You know, we see things like in Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, where Jesus says to his disciples and to us, Go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We talk about evangelism or going on mission or all the things we do as a church, preaching the gospel. But mission, it actually serves a different purpose. It serves the purpose of bringing people into this state of what we call worship, which is the enjoyment and the knowledge of God. It brings us into this state of relationship with God. Worship is the state that we were made for, that we were created for. And mission expresses God's heart to bring broken and fallen people, even the creation, back into relationship with God. You guys following with me? And so as we operate as believers, this this aspect of worship that we see is, is vital for us to grab hold of because God is after relationship with us. But the second important question to ask is this, what's in it for me, right? What's in it for me? And we oftentimes think that question is very negative, and sometimes it is. It can be selfish, so on and so forth. But, but I want us to kind of drop the, the, the pious, I'm a church person kind of mentality right now and say, if I were to give God what he desired, what would I get out of it? What would happen? What would, it, what would change in my life? What would change for me? Well, when we give God ourselves, when we give God more of ourselves, what he gives us is more of himself, 
That's what's in it for us. That this relationship doesn't just go one way. It goes both ways. When I give God me, God gives me him. And how, is, how powerful and amazing is that? That the God of the universe wants to not just dwell with you, but dwell in you. That he wants to shape and, 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 and uh, hone your character and, and be with you and, and, and inside of you. God gives us himself. The very best thing that God can give us is a revelation of him, of himself, leading to a relationship with him. Jeremiah the prophet, thousands of years ago, he penned these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23, I love this. It says, this is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom, or the powerful boast in their power, or the beavers boast in their victory. Oh, sorry, that's not in. (laughs) Or the powerful boast in their power, or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth and that I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken. If you want to brag about, about winning, you remember Charlie Sheen when he was going crazy? He was like, winning, he kept saying that. So Bethany and I started saying that to each other. Winning, you know, I'm changing a diaper. Winning, you know, no. Let he who boasts, boast only in God. Jeremiah says, if you want to boast, if you want to brag, if you want to have something in your life that you can say, I'm very proud about this. I'm excited about this. This is something that I want to stake my flag in. You know, not one victory over a three and eight team, guys. Come on. It's what can I really stake my flag? And I'm just having fun with the Beavers fans. I'm just a hurt, insecure duck fan up here. Just trying to make it in a beaver world now. Okay. What can I really boast in? What can I really say? This is it for me. It's that I know God. That God knows me. What's in it for me? When I give God more of myself, I get more of God. And this is an amazing thing. You see, one of the greatest lies, and and it's it's a multifaceted lie that we see in culture, is that a lot of things are presented as this will satisfy you. You get this relationship, or this uh, job promotion, or this house, or even in your career, or even for, for Christian leaders, oh, if my ministry were this size, or whatever it would be. And we hear these things, and they want to take the place of God, and ultimately the only thing that will satisfy you, ultimately the only thing worth boasting about is how much do you know God, and how much of God uh, do you have working in your life? Do you understand that He is the Lord? That's what we should plant our flag in. That's the thing to say, this is what is really what life is really about. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. You knew a C.S. Lewis quote was coming uh, today, and there's more to come. But I love this quote. He said, the one who has God and everything else has no more than he that has God alone. Let's read that one again. The one who has God and everything else has no more than he that has God alone. And you know, I've, I've discovered this truth in my life. Earlier this year, there were moments in my world where I felt like I didn't have anything other than God. And I want to tell you right now that the richness of my relationship with God really illuminated the fact that I had had everything anyways already because I had Him. That nothing externally, a job, a ministry, a, a, a marriage, a, a healthy family, what, all these things that we want, that we desire, they're good things. But ultimately, when you have God and God has you, you have it all. So this morning as we move forward, I want to talk about the first item on 
God's Christmas list? What does God want for Christmas? And we'll talk in the coming weeks about different, uh, different topics, but today it's the topic of worship. Number one, what does God want for Christmas? What can I give Him? God wants our worship. God wants our worship. This morning, I loved it when we were singing in that song, Holy, 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 Jesus, I love you. There was a beautiful sound of worship, a beautiful sound of praise. And you guys sound, you have amazing voices. Wow, what a beautiful choir you are. And uh, I want to encourage you in those moments to sing with all you have and to lay it all out on the line and just worship God. But what a beautiful moment. Holy, holy, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I love you. That's the sound of worship. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. What we do on Sundays should be the culmination of a week of worship lived for God, of every choice, every thought, every action lived for God. There's a beautiful story in John chapter 4 that Jesus' disciples recount for us. And in John chapter 4, Jesus meets with this woman at a well in a town called Samaria. And this woman had tried to find satisfaction in relationships, and Jesus kind of reads her mail. And we talked about that back in August in the I Can't Get No Satisfaction series. But, but uh, there's this beautiful moment, and she's, she's having a revelation of Jesus in this moment. And they begin to talk about worship. And Jesus says something, this profound statement about worship. He says in John chapter 4, verse 23, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. And listen to this, because this is what God wants for Christmas. This is what He wants from us in our life. Not just for Christmas, but all the time. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Pastor John Piper, he wrote about this verse. And I want to read you what he said, because I think it's just an incredible definition of what Jesus is saying here And and defining what is worship in in spirit and truth. What does God want? What is Jesus saying that the Father is seeking? He says, Jesus pointed us toward an answer in John chapter 4 when he said, The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Notice that worshiping in spirit is not contrasted with worshiping in the body or with the body. Instead, it is put alongside worshiping in truth. So what would that mean? That we are to be spirit worshipers, worshiping from the spirit and truth, driven by truth. I think the point is that when we worship, right worship, good worship, pleasing worship, depends on a right mental grasp of the way God really is. This is is truth. If we worship an idol of our own creation, we are really not worshiping God. And secondly, worship depends on a right spiritual or emotional or affectional heart grasp of God's supreme value. I love that phrase, supreme value. So true worship is based on a right understanding of God's nature, and it is a right valuing of God's worth. And of course, His worth is infinite. And thus, true worship is a valuing or a treasuring of God above all things. Now, I want us to hold that phrase in our hearts, and our minds. True worship is a valuing or a treasuring of God above all things. He goes on. That would be the closest I'm going to give to a definition, I suppose. True worship is a valuing or a treasuring of God above all things. So the inner essence of worship is the response of the heart to the knowledge of the mind when the mind is rightly understanding God and the heart is rightly valuing God. When the mind is rightly understanding God, remember, we boast in the knowledge of the Lord, I know God. 
I know God and He knows me, and our heart is rightly valuing God. And if you look at these categories, and we talk about worshiping in spirit and truth, that God is looking for those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth, isn't it easy for us to get off track on one or, one or two of these, one or both of these areas? Because sometimes I think I know God and He surprises me and I realize I, I'm, oh, I missed it on how you would respond in this situation. I missed it on what you would say. I missed it on how you would treat this individual. I don't really rightly know you and I need to, to get my mind set upon you. We're told in the scriptures to keep our mind on Jesus. Because you can get a lot of stuff to put your mind on, can't you? And fill your mind with. But, but I want to challenge us as a church to keep our mind on Christ. To keep our mind on the gospel. To keep our mind on God and His supreme value. You know, when I, when I do business, uh, Bethany and I recently bought a house. And one of the things that, that we wanted to know from our realtor was, can you give us comps? I want to see what houses in this neighborhood that are of similar size and similar age and so on and so forth, what are they worth? What are the values happening here? Why? So that I can know that I'm, that I'm valuing what I'm paying for correctly, right? And oftentimes what we do is we don't use any comps with God. We, we, sort, of, we sort of value things way out of proportion to what re- they really are worth, and we miss the one thing in the universe, God himself, who is of utmost value and supreme value. We don't value God rightly in our minds. We don't think it through. Because if we really thought it through, there would never be a moment, and I'm preaching to myself here, if I really thought it through, there would never be a moment where I thought anything else was as valuable as my relationship with the creator of heaven and earth. Come on. Do I rightly value God with my mind? And am I rightly valuing God in my heart, in spirit? Do I have a deep affection for God? Do I break in repentance when I sin? Not because I'm, I'm afraid that I'm going to get slapped on the hand, but because I wounded the one that I value uh, upmost, the, the most. Does that make sense? Uh, is, there a, is there a deep passion in my life to come to church on Sundays? I believe that the Lord wants our church to be marked by a deep passion to know God, to love God, to pursue God. That even as we go out on mission in the world, and we're a missional church, you guys know that. We love, we love to, to give. We love to, to talk about missions in foreign countries. We love to make disciples right here in Eugene. Come on. Can I get an amen? We're on a mission, right? Uh, we're on a mission. We're, we're, we're making disciples of Jesus. We want to see thousands of people come to know Christ right here in the city of Eugene. We're on a mission. But... That's not the end of the story. And if you just try to go on mission without getting this understanding of worship and knowing God, then, it, you're, then our mission is going to go dry and we're not going to have anything to bring anybody into. Let me just tell you right now that as a church, God wants us to be deeply uh, affectionate and passionate for His presence. Come on, God wants us to be a church of prayer. God wants us to be a church of fasting. You're like, fasting? Yeah, I said fasting and not the wussy kind. Well, I fasted uh, CNN for two nights. That's not fasting. That's called slowing, okay? Uh, fasting, you know, where we're giving up something and we're saying, God, I'm turning something over because I'm hungry for your presence. Come on. Is there a deep hunger for the presence of God? Do you break? Can you not get up fast enough to get in the Word of God in the morning? Or is it so interesting what's on ESPN and Facebook that God's book sits all by itself on your shelf? 
and collects dust because there's no passion and no hunger for God. Come on, I want God to stir us. He's looking for worshipers who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Not just coming on Sunday morning going, oh, I'm, uh, you know, I'm coming into church to get filled up. You shouldn't come to church to get filled up. You should come to church full and pour out your cup. Come on. Come on. God, am I passionate for you? Am I passionate for your purposes? Am I passionate for your people? Do I break with compassion when I see the poor in my city? Do I break? Why? Because I have the right value happening in my head and in my heart. And God is looking for that. And that's what we can give Him. Worship is the invitation to exult in and enjoy the greatest thing in the universe. God Himself. God Himself. The God of the universe. The creator of the stars the one that spoke the galaxies into existence and spoke the seas into existence and set the boundaries of the oceans, this God, He formed you with His hands. Did you know you're the only creation that's handmade? Everything else was made with words. But God formed us out of the dust with His hands. And that God wants to know you. He made you for relationship and worship is that state of existence in which I connect with that reality and I know God and I see His worth and I just open my life and I give it all to Him. I give it all to Him. And it's such a broad thing. We describe it in our core values. We, we have a core value of worship. I preached about this, I think, back in, in March or April or May, one of those places. It's on the website. You could look at it if you want. But we have a, a core value of worship and the way we describe that is this, aligning our lives to the reality of God. Aligning our lives to the reality of God. You could also say it this way, that I'm orienting myself uh, to the fact that God exists and that He is here. I love, uh, I wrote a song one time, it's called Jesus is Here, and uh, you can get what the song is about by the title, it's pretty clear, you know, Jesus is here, that's what it's about. And the reality of that, when, we, when two or more are gathered together in my name, he said, I'm there in the midst. What would happen if we really lived our life thinking Jesus is here? Amen. Right? Amen. Jesus is here. You would probably not pass by the poor so often. And, and I'm preaching to myself here and not do anything. Not reach out to people. I'm not talking about having to give people money. I mean actually talking. <coughs> loving. Pouring out your life. Maybe you would talk to your wife a little bit different if, if you thought that Jesus was, was there. How would we raise our kids if Jesus was there? Well, I want to tell you, He is there. Aligning our lives to the reality of God. There is a God. There is a God. He is here. He, he wants to dwell with you and, and, and inside of you. And what happens in our lives when we align ourselves to that reality? We, we enter into this state of worship. We begin to, to do everything, every thought, every, every uh, action, everything that we do, every choice that we make begins to be an act of worship, an, an act of rightly understanding and valuing God. It would change everything. And that's the kind of thing that God wants. Something that we can give to God, our worship. I want to finish this morning with three things. Three thoughts, just highlighting the importance of worship and kind of uh, expanding on it. Number one, worship is really the best gift that God gives us. Because He's giving us this invitation into His presence. I love that verse in the scripture that says, Come boldly to the throne of grace. That God invites us into His presence. We are allowed to approach, because of the work of Jesus at the cross, 
that veil that separated us from God's presence was torn in two, and now we have free access to come into God's presence and encounter Him and know Him. And worship is that invitation. God is, is inviting us to come and, and exult in Him and enjoy Him and know Him. And what a powerful thought that is. That really, God wants worship, but, but actually it's really a gift for you and I. Right? And how many of you would say that I've, I've at least tasted enough of the Lord, I've tasted enough of His presence and, and of walking with God, that I know that, that really it's more that I'm getting more out of it than God. How many of you would say that? Like, I, I know that God is getting more out of this, uh, or I'm getting more out of this than God is. You know, Bethany and I like to talk about this, that we don't do devotions for God. I don't get up in the morning and read my Bible and pray and spend time in worship for God. I do that for me. Right? So sometimes we get this sort of legalistic thing, well, I forgot to read my Bible today, I'm such a sinner, God hates me. No, God didn't miss out on how awesome God is today. You did. <laughs> Think about that. You know, God isn't like, oh man, I, you know, Jake didn't tell me how awesome I am, so I forgot. He's not insecure. You know what I mean? He's not, he's not insecure. He didn't grow weaker because I didn't pray. Who grew weaker? I did. So we don't do devotions for, for God, we do them for, for us. But the beautiful thing is that God invites us in. Worship is really the best gift that God gives us. Here comes C.S. Lewis, quote number two, and then I'll stop with the C.S. Lewis. He said, I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise, is not mere, not merely ex- because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and not to be able to tell anyone how good he is. To come suddenly at the turn of the road upon some mountain valley of unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people with you care for it no more than for a tin can in the ditch. To hear a good joke and find no one to share it with. In other words, when you find something so awesome, it's actually not fully consummated how awesome it is until you get to share it with someone else. Worship is the ability for, for God to share the most incredible thing in the universe with us. It just so happens to also be Him. What is greater than God? What is more powerful than God? What is more majestic than God? What is more loving than God? What is more awesome than God? Nothing. So if God wants to give you the very best thing He possibly can, what does He give you? Himself. And so often we see in the scriptures that we look at things and we say, well, I'm, I'm earning my way to God. You know, if I, if I do what the Bible says, if I follow the commandments that God lays out for me, what I'm doing is I'm earning my way. I'm becoming acceptable to him. No, God is saying, if you want to know me, here's the steps you can, you can get to me. It's not about earning my way to God. It's about, it's about becoming that kind of a person, becoming more like Jesus so we can be in God's presence. God is trying to give you the very best gift that he can, himself. You know, I, I love what, what C.S. Lewis says here, that, that when there's a, like a lovers, let's say a husband and a wife, and they, they say, you know, you're so beautiful. I tell my wife she's beautiful. And sometimes she goes, oh, stop. No, I'm not beautiful. And I say, you stop that right now. You are beautiful. You're the most beautiful woman in the world. Oh, Jake, stop. No, you are the most beautiful woman in the world. And that's not, I'm not being facetious, and I'm not lying to her, and I'm not, I'm not, because there's not, I'm not putting her on a scale with other women. What I'm saying is, to me, you are the supreme beauty. Right? And I need her to know that. That helps. I'm actually, in a way, worshiping my wife. I'm expressing, no, to me, you are of supreme value. That, and that helps me enjoy the relationship. Right? 
When she says, Jake, you know, you're, you're the most handsome man in the world. I think I've heard that once or twice, maybe, uh, possibly. She's like, you have big muscles or whatever she says, you know, that, that, that builds me up. She's enjoying the relationship. It's not just for me. It's also for her. You following with me? Sam Storm said it this way. If God is to love me optimally, he must bestow or impart the best gift he has, the greatest prize, the most precious treasure, the most exalted and worthy thing within his power to give. That gift, of course, is himself. Nothing in the universe is as beautiful and captivating and satisfying as God. So if God loves me, he will give himself to me and then work in my soul to awaken me to his beauty and all sufficiency. In other words, he will strive by all manner and means to intensify and expand and enlarge my joy in him. All of which is to say, in the words of John Piper, that God's love for me is seen not in him making much of me, but in him graciously enabling me to enjoy making much of him forever. Amen. Amen. Worship is really the best gift God gives us. Number two, worship is something we must get right. You want to follow God? Worship is something you have to get right. You have to grasp it. You have to understand it. You have to anchor your life to this truth of of what worship really is. Because our worship sets the target of our life. If our worship is misguided, our entire life will be aimed at the wrong target. And that's that's a terrible thing to think about. But there's people that go to church their entire life... And they've missed this, and so they miss God. Because they think that, well, I'm, I'm earning my way. If I do everything right, then I'll get the prize at the end. That's not the gospel, right? If we get this worship thing wrong, we're aiming at the wrong target. We don't want to climb to the top of the ladder and realize it was leaning against the wrong wall. I don't want to show up uh, at the pearly gates and have God say, you don't know me, and I don't know you. That's not a good thing. I need to get this worship thing right. Anybody with me here? Idolatry, which you see dealt with all through the scriptures. And I don't know if any of you are tempted to like worship and bow down to a stone idol. Okay, but we do have idols in our life. They take different forms than maybe they did historically. But idolatry, all that it is, is misguided worship. There was a a wise prophet who once said, you're going to have to serve somebody. It might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody, right? We are all worshiping something or someone all the time. Worship is not something you turn on and off. You just guide it and direct it, right? And so idolatry is putting worship on the wrong target, uh, worshiping the wrong thing. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your family. Here's a, here's a really subtle one that, tr- that trickles into church. Uh, is, is family say, well, we, you know, it's all about having a good family, and so I'm going to make sure my kids have everything they need, and they're going to play every sport and be at every school thing and everything right here. And then you watch slowly as they create very, very well-behaved, well-mannered, but non-Christ followers. Yeah. I, I would rather have my children maybe not you know, play every sport, but actually know God and know His house and love His people. Come on, yeah. right? Just preaching here. That, you know, it's a a misguided thing. I've put a priority on something that actually isn't the priority. Is God the priority? Now, I'm not saying don't have your kids play sports. Our kids, I'm going to have our kids play sports. I want to see what Evie can do on the field. She'd probably play for the Ducks. She's pretty ferocious. You know, Jack might be a chess player. I don't know. We'll see what happens. But our kids are going to play sports. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying just becoming some weird, you know, hide in the, the woods and never let your kids do anything. You know, that's not... What I'm talking about. What I'm saying, though, is what's the priority? Misguided worship, it's idolatry. Worship directed towards anything other 
than God. And what happens is this. Misdirected worship creates maladjusted souls. Misdirected worship creates maladjusted souls. Go look up the definition of the word maladjusted. Unable to, to operate in. Unable to connect properly with society. Unable to connect properly with life. When you misdirect worship, you're maladjusted to the way the universe really is. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. When I don't get God in the right spot at the top, everything is out of order. And everything will be dysfunctional. Everything will be broken. A lot of times we're like, why is my life broken? It's because you have things out of order. When you get God in his rightful place, other things fall into place. Misdirected worship creates maladjusted souls. Do you want to find fulfillment and satisfaction? Let Jesus be the center of everything. Let Jesus be the center, that he guides your decisions and your choices, that you think through the lens of scripture, that you get God in his rightful place. When worship is right, everything falls into place. All right? But misdirected worship, putting your worship, your affection, your attention on anything other than God creates maladjusted souls. Number three, worship is the point. Worship is the point. It's the point of this message today. It's the point of this series. It's the point of all the series this year. It's the point of our church. It's the point of life. It's the point of what God made us for. Worship is the point. There's a lot of other things that are important, but worship is the point. What do I mean by that? Not singing songs on Sunday worship. That's an aspect. It's part part of a larger thing. But worship, letting God be in His rightful place and seeing Him there, worshiping in spirit and truth, We have many goals in life, a lot of really good things that we're pursuing and seeking. Personal spiritual growth. We're looking for healthy families. We talked about that last week. Meaningful careers, meaningful ministries. We want to see real disciples of Jesus raised up in our city. There's a lot of great, good, awesome things that we're working for. And they're all good goals. But ultimately, they fall short of the thing, the one thing, the main thing, the point. The restoration of true relationship with God. Ask yourself this question. Why why did Jesus die on the cross? Why did he go through the shame and humiliation and pain, even rejected by God? Why was God willing to send his son? Why? What is the point? If you think the cross is the point, you've missed something. The cross is the process, but heaven is the point. Redemption is the process, but restoration of relationship is the point. We preach the gospel, not so that we can hear a message and feel good or feel like, oh, now I'm saved. It's so that we can get into the relationship with God. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Because God couldn't have a universe in which he couldn't bring us back into relationship. It's worship. He wanted to restore that relationship. It's the point of everything. Why do we preach the gospel? Not just because we do it out of obedience, that we do it out of obedience, but we do it because we want people to know God. We want people to encounter God, to know His presence. Do you know why I get out of bed in the morning? It's not because I'm excited about the church. It's not because I love my wife. I do. I love our church and I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my job. That's not why I get out of bed in the morning. I get out of bed in the morning because I love Jesus. Come on. 
I get, I get up in the morning because God created me and I get to have fellowship with Him and know Him. And the things I do for God are just an outflowing of my relationship with Him. I want other people to know how awesome and amazing God is. Can I tell you right now that if you're sitting in this place and you're broken and you're a sinner and you've rejected God, you know, you, you, you've lived your life and your, your whole life has been a middle finger to God, I want to tell you right now that God brought you to this place because He loves you so much. God loves you desperately. You know, I can't even, I can't even think about how much God loves you. All I can think about is how much I love my kids. You know, even when my kids do rotten, stupid stuff, I still love them so much. And sometimes right in the middle of when they're doing something stupid, they're so dang cute, I just have to smile. And then I spank them later. I think sometimes God is like, you know, that was really wrong, but, but I love you. Come on, I love you. Jesus died on the cross for you. If you're here today and you want to know this God that we're talking about and you want to get this worship thing right and you want to put your affection and attention on God, I want to let you know that that John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Right now is your moment to meet God. Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. If you're in this place right now, and right now as I'm speaking, you're saying, I don't understand everything about this Christianity thing. I don't know all the stuff about God, but I know that I'm a broken person, and I need to find life, and I need to change. I want to let you know that you can find that in Christ right now. You can put your faith and trust in Him. If that's you today, and you want to put your faith in Jesus, you want to put your worship on Jesus, and get it in the right spot, I just want to invite you to lift up your hand where I can see. Thank you. Thank you.